to PodPod, our second episode of 2024. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Rihanna Dillon, and today I'm going to be joined by Adam Shepard and Reem Makari. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Happy Happy New Year. Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) Before we get stuck in, we are interviewing this week John Evans. So John is a marketing executive. He's worked for some incredibly well-known companies, but he also has his own podcast called Uncensored CMO, which is talking to other key marketing figures. So he's interviewed everyone from Just Eat to Nudge, and he has some really interesting insights to share with us all about the role that advertising in podcasts can take in 2024 and how it's evolved over the past few years as well. It does feel like advertising in podcasts and actually advertising everywhere at the moment is is quite kind of hotly contested. So what's going on, Reem? Because I know that something's come up even today in this particular area. Yeah, well, it's not a very great start to the new year. So Odyssey has recently commenced prepackaged Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings Odyssey is a podcast and radio company that's based in the US. And they said that because of macroeconomic challenges, they have faced financial struggles. And I think they're in 1.9 billion debt, which is a lot. What? Where was that money going? I mean, it certainly wasn't going into podcasting here. (laughs) It's a shockingly large number, but they have filed for a restructuring plan that's going to take around 1.6 billion of the debt away from them if it gets approved. So they'll be having a hearing for it in February. But one of the reasons they stated was because there's less investment into radio advertising and podcast advertising as well. And that has caused them to have these financial struggles. And it's not just Odyssey that has been through this. We've seen it with other companies as well. Last year, at the end of the year, Spotify laid off 17% of its work staff. New York Public Radio laid off some people from its podcasting division. And just many different companies are just pulling back on their podcast investment because of these challenges. But the IAB, for example, still reports that there's growth in podcasting and podcast advertising revenue. And in fact, it's, it's expected to double by 2025. So it is still a growing channel and a growing medium and there is room for for investment and it's just going to take time and unfortunately since since covid happened we've seen this across all different advertising channels that all they've all been impacted by what's happening in the world mm-hmm. but i don't think it's something that should scare advertisers about podcasting i think they should still see it as something that they should be investing in Adam, do you think that's going to be viable considering the advertisers are pulling campaigns left, right and centre from more traditional mediums? I think it's something that is going to be viable long term. I think one of the challenges that you're having is that in any kind of economic uncertainty, advertisers batten down the hatches and focus on campaigns and advertising channels that are pretty much surefire bets to deliver measurable results. So in particularly in terms of digital advertising, that means investments in things like search marketing in particular. It means social, it means digital video. And those are going to be, I think, the, the natural sort of knee-jerk reaction from brands and agencies. 
where the podcast industry needs to be putting its energy is into really proactively pitching to brands and agencies on thoughtful long-term partnerships not just you know big spot ad campaigns or six month long show sponsorships but deeply integrated kind of multimedia you know partnership campaigns Mm. and that i think has has big potential in 2024 but it's it's gonna take a lot of education from the podcast industry to the the sort of brand and agency community Okay, so a slightly more hopeful note. (laughs) We'll be talking to John Evans about this and so much more, actually. Hopefully, this is all going to be really useful stuff if you are interested in the kind of the marketing side of podcasts and what they can do for businesses. So here he is, John Evans, talking to me and Adam. John, welcome to PodPod. Thank you for joining us. It's very exciting to be on PodPod. I can't wait. (laughs) This is a bit weird for me, obviously. You know, I'm usually asking the questions. So there's an element of nerves here because I'm thinking I don't have control of the content anymore. (laughs) It is really strange, actually, as an interviewer to have the tables turned. So I do sympathise, but I I am really glad that I'm this side (laughs) and you're that side. (laughs) So your podcast is very much about speaking the truths of the world of marketing. Why did you want to get into marketing in the first place? Well, I, I actually started out in finance, which is a bit of a different career path. Yes. Um, actually worked in in banking, of all things, uh, oh. in the city. And I know it's all a very, very serious. And I remember I had, <laughs> had this one chance meeting with a client and I, I said to the client, I, I love the sound of what you do. And it turned out this this client was a marketing director. So uh, I made an early pivot, shall we say, at the age of sort of 22, 23, to try and convince someone to give me a break in marketing. So, uh, so although I have to say, and I, I do I do say this a lot, having an accountancy background, a finance background, is like that kind of secret skill that actually helps you as a marketer. Because when you're in the boardroom going, how do you know, you know, what? how is this big campaign or this big product launch going to work? Being able to talk the language of finance has, has turned out to be a little secret uh, secret asset in the armory, I suppose. I can imagine. And as a marketer, when you said you found the idea, the sound of that job really exciting or interesting, what is it that you love doing now? I think it's sort of, it's inventing things and, mm. and creating things. I, I, I think probably, I think at school, you're so drilled in sort of, you know, getting the right answer and revising and all those sorts of things. But I always enjoyed, you know, like art and craft and sport mm-hmm. and where you have a bit of creativity and you get to invent things. I mean, I, I think, I think if I boil it down to its simplest, it's probably making things and creating things that personally I get energy from. As a marketer, I love, I love that. Get a really big problem, solve it with creativity and deliver some results. So I've always been fascinated by that. John, you've spoken to a lot of marketers with your podcast. As a podcaster yourself, how do you think podcasts are perceived within the marketing community as an advertising channel? Because you've kind of got a a foot in both camps, really. Mm. I think it's changed massively, to be honest with you. I, I mean, when I started mine, 
podcasting was a bit of a joke because people would say, oh, not another marketing podcast. Like the world doesn't need yet another one. Yeah. I mean, that was the sort of little, I mean, there's plenty of people saying that kind of thing. And, you know, that, that little seed of doubt, you know, sits in the back of your head going, well, am I too late? Have I, you know, have I missed the, missed the wave? Is, is it really a bit of a joke? It when doesn't did you compare to it? TV. Uh, four years ago. Um, so just before the pandemic struck. So that's, that's when I started out. And I'm so glad I did because if I look at the growth of the podcast, it's one of those things that takes time to establish your audience, you know, time to get, you know, really good guests on and, and grow a following and promote it. But it's been the most amazing journey and I'm thoroughly convinced by its power as a medium. But I started out as an accidental podcast host. I mean, I'd never listened to a podcast. I mean, producer James, he convinced me to do it. You'd never listened to a podcast is is wild. <laughs> no, I hadn't. I hadn't. And then, but I had this, what had happened is I'd, um, I'd been fired from my job. I, I used to be CM at Brewdog and yeah. I found myself out of a job. And what I did in the, the months in between then and what I do now was try and network, try and get myself out there. I was freelancing for a number of different companies at the time, trying to work out what do I do next? And I thought, you know what? This podcasting thing is a great way to meet people. And I know it sounds so basic, but I, <laughs> I wanted to find an excuse to meet interesting people that might end up giving me a job. I mean, that, that was mm -hmm. actually my motivation. So given that my background was as a CMO and, and in marketing, I thought, wouldn't it be great to create content that CMOs want to listen to so that I've got an excuse to go and talk to them and then maybe I'll get a job. So that was actually the motivation. <laughs> so I know that most people probably got a much more strategic, clever answer for the question but for me it was a means to an end originally but of course then what happened is it started off as that you know kind of me building my network and, mm. and meeting cmos and then over time suddenly I, I went hang on a minute we're getting quite a few downloads of quite a few people listening there's lots of feedback i'm getting and actually people are starting to value it as content and it's starting to almost become a media in its own right you know and uh, and so it's turned into that which has been massively exciting how were you getting the word out about it if you didn't really know about the world of podcasting? Well, I, I personally relied very heavily on LinkedIn. So, mm. so LinkedIn's been my kind of partner channel, as it, as it were. So typically what we do is we, we produce an episode every week now. It didn't start out like that, but we now do one every week. We film it as well as record it. And then what we do with the film content is we cut it up into um, – usually three or four different small segments on a different a different topic. So typically in an episode, we'll have, you know, I mean, the last one I did was, um, for example, with Confused.com, CMO, and he in it, he talked about pitching, for example. He'd just been through a pitch process and how a CMO might approach that and how an agency might do. And that just creates brilliant content for me to share. So I usually then share that on LinkedIn. And if I look at the stats, LinkedIn's probably about half of the traffic through to youtube for example so it, it looks it's become my most powerful uh media and and of course both you know grow each other as well so people discover me on on linkedin listen mm -hmm. to the podcast people listen to the podcast will then get the content through linkedin so that's how that's worked did you find that your guests were coming to you being like can i come on to your podcast because you'd grown so much so quickly Yes, that's definitely the case. I mean, the vast majority of the guests are ones that we've approached. And uh, I mean, like any podcast, I know you guys know this really well, but you get inundated with people offering to be on your show. I mean, it's insane. I've got like an email box almost dedicated just to the people that pitch to be on the show. <laughs> I can't even 
begin to read it. Do you know what I mean? It's like you need like two inboxes. You need the yeah. people that are pitching you inbox, the people you're pitching inbox. They've got to be separate, right? And the Venn it's, diagram it's, in the middle where, it, you know. The overlap is about two people. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like about two people ever, you know, and it's it, it's really hard because obviously, you know, there's lots of people that, are, but I, I suppose the more I've done this, the clearer I've become on the audience that uh, I'm, I've got and what they value. And I, mm-hmm. I know the topics that matter. I know the kind of guests that work. I know the kind of conversation that works. So I was probably less clear when I started, but now I'm super, super clear on the kind of guests, the kind of profile I want them to have. And, and things that, things that really matter are, is the guest going to partner to share the content afterwards? You know, are they going to amplify it themselves? You know, these kind of things become important as well. Mm. But yeah, and I'm much, mm. much clearer now. So I, I, I turned down 99% of, uh, of approaches I get with the sort of senior marketing figures that you're that you're kind of talking to and interacting with are you finding that a a good percentage of them are already kind of fully on board the podcast train are they sort of podcast fans and consumers themselves because one of the really interesting trends that we've seen in terms of uh, podcast advertising is that the most successful podcast campaigns are quite often driven by senior internal stakeholders within a brand who are avid podcast consumers themselves and are really familiar with the benefits of the medium and the way it works and are sort of driving, driving it as a medium from within the business. Yeah, you're spot on. The thing with podcasting is it's an amazing B2B business tool as well. So any CMO that's got a B2B element to their role, it, it's just incredible, firstly. Secondly, it's a very good for personal branding as well. And and there's often like a, I guess, back to your Venn diagram, there's often a Venn diagram between your personal brand and your company brand. And, and, and podcasting kind of nicely does that overlap. I mean, even if I take myself as a subject, I've obviously grown the podcast as me, but my day job at System One, where I do advertising testing, the overlap is phenomenal. You know, even though I don't spend, you know, I don't necessarily talk about it on the show very much. We certainly don't brand it. System One actually gets a massive benefit from me doing the podcast. And I'd say to answer your question as well, that CMOs that come on, you know, really do understand the power of, well, firstly, they understand the power of building their own profile as well. So whether it's talking about a pitch they might be doing and uh, attracting the right kind of agencies, they want to work on it. Sometimes they might be looking for a job. I shouldn't say that. But I sometimes think I could have like a betting, a betting thing going on, you know, CMOs come on the podcast and in the next six months, you'll see them in campaign magazine with a new job sort of thing, you know, so, you know things like that. I can help. Senior you know. marketing executives use podcasts to cast around for job offers. <laughs> Who would have no. thought? Say know, it ain't so, shock. John. I know. It's outrageous. <laughs> and then you get the reverse thing, of course, with that. Well, actually, I'll tell you a little funny story. Um, so flipping from CMOs to agency founders, um, I had Nils Leonard on in the summer and then literally two days later uncommon got sold to have us it was funny so i had to phone him back up and say dude can you come back on the podcast explain yourself you were sat there doing the biggest deal like in the world of advertising and you were chatting to me like shooting shit about whatever you know what i mean about chelsea football club or how you all you do is sell cheese and we talked about stuff like that and he was just selling his but anyway that was funny and then and then i had our and sell my ramos from gut agency 
he came on as well. And then a week later, Gut got sold. I'm just like, this is so funny. Anyway, so um, <laughs> maybe yeah. it's I'm you. Not- <laughs> maybe they come to you, speak to you, realize there are bigger, better things out there. I know exactly. <laughs> actually, on a thing, one of the things that um, an unexpected pleasure of podcasting actually has been the feedback you get, uh, mm. and, and you know, you, mm. you guys, I know, will get this all the time. It's so lovely when you put content out in the world and you just get a flood of people saying that really helped me in my career. That's convinced me to, to leave my job and try a new one. That gave me the confidence to pitch an idea, you know, those kind of things, or that allowed me to connect with so-and-so. One of the best ones is actually in my first, very, very early, um, I went to an event the other day and I met someone who's been listening to me from the very first episode. I was like, oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. Lovely. You know, lovely to meet you. Yeah, I know there's only about two of those people. So it's really nice when you do, you know, <laughs> I, need find, I need to find the other one, you know, anyway, but she'd been listening from the beginning and she said, yeah, I was listening to your episode with Alex Myers and I dropped my shopping in Waitrose because I suddenly realized he's the guy that I need to work on my business. And um, she'd phoned him up straight away off the back of the podcast interview and they've been working together for the last four years. And I was oh like, my goodness. That's, oh, wow. that's amazing. I mean, like that, that's the power you connect people through podcasting yeah. and that power is just phenomenal. Like a working Cupid. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, no, that, that, that happens almost every time to the extent now that every time a guest comes on before we start chatting, I say, what's the one thing you hope happens as a result of coming on this show? And it's lovely because so often something, something magical will happen, whether it's kind of, you know, winning a pitch or being introduced to a potential customer or getting a new job or, or whatever it might be. So it, it's amazing like that. You obviously have spoken to so many people. I remember speaking to somebody quite close to the podcast, actually, who said every business should have their own podcast, just as a rule of thumb. Is that something that you'd agree with, having spoken to so many marketers? Everyone should partner with a podcast, but not necessarily have their own. I, th- I think okay. having that, oh, I think having their own is interesting because I think everyone should have podcasting as part of their strategy, particularly okay. in B2B. I think in B2B, mm-hmm. it's just a no brainer because you know, you, 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 the ability to target your audience and also senior decision makers. I mean, the thing with Uncensored CMO mm. is that I reach an audience that is very, very hard to reach. Mm. Uh, they're decision makers. They're responsible for big budgets or they might be agency founders and owners and so on. So mm. the, the, the audience splits between kind of advertising execs and on the other side, uh, senior marketers, CMOs. So that'd be the two, roughly speaking, the two audiences. Very, very, very hard to reach. Yeah, I, I guess to answer your question, the, the decision you'd need to make is, do I want to invest in my own and build it up over time? Because it mm-hmm. does take time. It, you know, I mean, I did four times more downloads last year than I did in the first three years added together. You know, so you, you, you kind of look at that and you just go, it's one of those things that just cumulatively, you know, mm-hmm. gets more and more. But I'd say it, it's as effective to partner with established podcasts might be a quicker way to get to the answer. I mean, obviously, if you have your own, that's one thing. But I tell you what, the one thing I think companies can struggle with is when they brand it themselves. I don't think people necessarily want to listen to a company talking about itself, selling itself. Right. And the reason I did this as me and as uncensored is because I wanted to create value for people that didn't have strings attached. So you didn't know you were going to get sold something every single time. 
And that, I think, is probably the question that if I was a business owner or brand owner or ran an agency, I'd be thinking carefully about is, do you want to do a podcast that's just an advert for you? Or do you want to partner with someone or create value that then people discover you through doing that? And I think that as a, as a B2B strategy is more powerful. Mm. So on that subject of partnership, then one of the things that we see quite often still is podcasting ending up as a line on a media plan rather than as a key creative channel, particularly for consumer advertising. Why do you think that is, you know, marketers are very keen to talk about their position as storytellers and as creative professionals and podcasting is a medium that seems tailor-made for that kind of storytelling and that kind of emotional engagement and yet a lot of marketers don't seem to be approaching it from a creative lens you know it's just a couple of thousand pounds put towards programmatic advertising through acast or or Mm. spotify why why do you think that is Oh, uh, that's a really cool question. You, you'll get me going now as well, because I, I think the worst, <laughs> the worst thing you could possibly do is think about podcasting as a line on a media plan. Because if, if you're talking mm. about cost per million, right, it, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. It just doesn't make any sense. And if you think, I mean, I know stats will vary, but maybe about 80% of people that listen to this will still be listening after 20 minutes. At least half will be listening right through to the end. You're talking about a hugely engaged audience. If you download a podcast and listen to it on your commute into work, right? You're committing potentially 60 minutes of your time to engage with that person on a topic that you care about. It is not comparable at all, even to cinema advertising. I mean, it's like Mm. if you took, if you took the most engaged paid for advertising, it doesn't get close to podcasting. So to compare them, I just think is, is just insanity. You probably think about it much more like influencer marketing because you're getting to work with a creator who could potentially create content for you or, or share your content. And that it's, and you're buying into somebody that basically their audience really trusts because people that get the other, I mean, Stephen mm-hmm. Bartlett talks about this a lot is when he was getting millions of views on YouTube, he'd get a handful of engagement. As soon as he launched Diary of a CEO, he'd get hundreds and thousands of people engaging with him on much, much lower numbers. And that's because the people that are listening were, were super engaged. It's much more targeted. The engagement's on a different level and the ability to create things that are relevant to your audience, much more like an influencer campaign than a paid for advertising campaign is just spectacular. So my, my heart sinks a little bit whenever I talk to somebody that thinks about podcasting in a cost per million point of view, because you just miss a monster opportunity to create engagement mm. and, and reach, reach people. Absolutely. But then why are so few brands comparatively investing in big budget creative led podcast campaigns? I mean, you've, you've been kind of in that world for, for a, a good while now and you've spoken to a lot of the kind of as you say a lot of the senior decision makers who are going to be ultimately making the call on these kinds of campaigns Mm. why is it still so underinvested in is it just a, a question of a perceived lack of scale in podcasting or is it more of an education piece that the industry needs to be doing around the the benefits of podcasting yeah, I think it's both. I think it's both. So firstly, if you, if you look at the numbers in terms of the amount of media that's spent on podcasting, it's 
it's tiny, 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 isn't it? And so, so I suppose if you looked at an industry report and said, here, even though it's growing a lot, but here's the amount of money spent on advertising. If you think about it, as I said before, through the media lens, it just looks almost not worth bothering sort of thing. That's, that's a shame. Uh, although it is growing quickly. And so I'm sure that will change over time. But the main thing is I don't think the industry has made the case properly for where to put it. I think it's one of those medias that, I mean, I often struggled with, you know, when I was media buying and, and there'll be a new, there'll be a new media and I go, well, where do I put that in my thinking? What, what role does mm. it fulfill in my plan? And I'm not quite sure. Now, what I would be totally sure about and, and, and as me is as a B2B channel, it's insane off the charts. B2B, think about it like an influencer campaign. So how can I get other people to tell my story? How do I reach the audience I want to influence? So I, I think it's partly understanding its role that we haven't properly explained and i don't think the value that it creates we've done a good enough job of promoting and celebrating in the way that i think influence marketing in its traditional sense the traditional sense i know it's quite new but you know it's well established mm. isn't it i think it's much more well known and i think if we can position it in the right way that people go oh right so these are people that have got a very trusted listener base who, who rely on them for great content. And if we can be part of that conversation, we'll be able to communicate. Because the other benefit, of course, is compare it to a print ad where you've got a static, you know, one page to communicate something. You've got up to 60, well, it could vary, can't it? But you could have 60 minutes dedicated to talking about what you do in a really interesting way, you know. So I definitely think we've got a long way to go in terms of how we promote it. Now, in terms of why that is, it might be that there's no sort of, you know, organizations taking the lead enough, maybe. I think we've got further to go, uh, collaborating. You guys are setting out with an amazing, amazing mission to do that. I suppose there aren't the same vested interests, are there, like TV channels or uh, search or social media where there's already a very, mm. very, very well-invested, highly funded kind of um, organization that's that's there to promote it. Well, and also a lack of well-established playbooks. You know, one of the frustrations with the sort of podcast advertising sphere is that going back to your point about where it fits in a sort of traditional marketing structure, there is absolutely no consensus about who within an agency is responsible for managing podcast spend you know is it the mm. av team is it the influencer team is it you know the digital audio team you know in many cases this will vary not just from agency to agency but from campaign to campaign and that kind of fragmentation just makes it impossible to build any kind of coherency on an ongoing basis you're right. It's, you make a good point about fragmentation, isn't it? Because it's not like you can buy into a network and therefore you just get everybody in one go. It's, it's, it's not like that as a media where you can just buy, buy your way in there. I suppose you'd need to do deals with a number of different podcasters to get the kind of reach you want. And each one requires a tailor-made approach because it's content creation, right? So you don't really want to do the same thing everywhere. So I suppose it mm. takes... It, it, there's a level of involvement required, level of investment required, and it is more fragmented um, than just because the thing with with media buying is, you know, I mean, I used to sign off tens of millions of TV spend every year and it would be a line <laughs> on a spreadsheet. And you just think this is mm. this is insane, really, when you think about it. It's just <laughs> it's just a number in a spreadsheet. How many GRPs do I want on this particular brand? When do I want them? And that was about it. And it's just and then you outsource that to somebody else. Whereas actually with podcasting, you'd have to be much more intentional about it. You need to think about it, you know, more carefully. And and you might want to work with a few different people. So it's probably 
the the returns are incredible, but it does require some investment and some understanding of how to use the media, which is which is probably what's holding some people back. But traditional media, I mean, I've just seen a just kind of like a top line about Channel Four is having to lay off a huge amount of staff because they're not getting advertisers at the moment. So it kind of feels like this whole area is in trouble across all the different mediums. So do you think that that is more or less likely to go in podcasts favor because it's cheaper traditionally, obviously, or do you think it just, they're just going to be sort of tarred with the same brush and because of that lack of understanding you've just been talking about is going to be even more kind of shunted to the side? Oh, that's a very good question. I think the upside with podcasting is so big that actually it's almost doesn't really matter what the rest of the market does because mm. it, it's so small as a percentage of the mix anyway. The upside is so big that even in a recession or a deflationary market or whatever is going on elsewhere, there's just so much to, to, to be achieved. And, and I think as well, once people unlock the value of it, they'll then be putting more and more money into it. So that's the first thing that will happen. The second thing will happen is once people see other people being successful with it, they'll go, I want some of that, please. So I think those the two steps have got to happen is really seeing brands successfully exploiting it and, and, and obviously getting the benefit of it and then seeing other people go, well, how do we do that? And once that competition happens, then, you know, I think the upside is is huge. So I just want to go back to what you were saying earlier around kind of resourcing and around the speed of your workflows with the podcast. How do you fit in all of the stuff you have to do with the podcast around your day job with System One? Because, I mean, as I'm sure everyone listening to this will know, running a podcast is a full-time <laughs> job and then some. It is. It is. Well, having a great team and also having a supportive employer mm. are the, are the, broadly the two things. So my team at the moment, got producer James, who's been here from day one. So he and I mm. have worked on it together all along. Mm. He does all the production, editing and all the promotional content that I put out there. And I will do sort of guest research, networking, obviously the interview itself and so on. So it's, it, it's, it's lovely. And we have recently hired a managing director of the podcast, I suppose you might call uh, nice. Kerry, who basically mm. is looking now at our schedule, content creation, what we do next, that kind of thing, mm. building our network out as well, sort of thing. And, and she's absolutely amazing. That's the third member of the team. So now they're now basically three of us. Now it's still part time for me. I've obviously got my day job. And that's when it comes to second point with system one. There's a massive, massive mutually beneficial relationship because what I get from my day job in System One is I get access to lots of data, lots of great pieces of work. We measure advertising every single day. So I get to see advertising campaigns that break and if they work and don't work, that sort of thing. So I have the benefit of this huge resource that I can bring onto the podcast in terms of content, which is great. So it gives me a constant kind of resource to tap into. The second thing is, System One benefit massively from the podcast themselves because actually people will get to know me through the content. I'll sometimes talk about System One naturally anyway. And therefore, actually, a, a very large percentage of the new customers that come and sign up with System One will say when they fill in the form about how did you hear about it, they'll say, Oh, we heard about it on Uncensored CMO. So mm. because of that mutual like relationship, therefore it's kind of in system one's interest to to kind of give me the support to spend the time doing it. Based on all of the people that you've spoken to, have you noticed any patterns? Are there like key marketing points that crop up again and again 
maybe even ones that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of or thought about previously. Yeah, there are definitely hot button topics. Examples of hot button topics would be how to brief an agency well, right? So basically, every agency thinks clients are terrible at briefing and they are, right? <laughs> you know, it's true, <laughs> you know, so it's true, right? It's, 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 I haven't come across a good one yet. So there are things like that, that just get everyone wound up or pitching, right? You know, right. should an agency mm. have to pitch or not? If they pitch, how do they win? You know, what makes a good relationship between a client and agency? That would be a classic one. Purpose. I mean, boy, purpose just keeps on going in terms of how important is it, you know, to, to a brand strategy and, you know, do you believe in purpose or not? What do you mean by purpose and so on? And then there'll be things like AI. Is AI going to completely kill the industry, revolutionize the industry or make it just a tiny little bit better? And it, you know, so yeah. there are Where certain have you topics landed on that. that <laughs> I'm I'm on, on the needle. I was probably AI is a bit like NFTs and the metaverse in that we're all going to have it's all hype and it's going to be over tomorrow. I've actually become a lot more convinced by it. And because mm. what's interesting about AI, I, I, I met a guy in New York who's absolutely amazing at this. And he said to me, the people that are doing AI are not talking about it. He said, if you're talking about AI, you're not doing it. Not doing and, it. And, and I was like, okay, that's an interesting perspective. That is really interesting. Yeah. Because he said, if you really understood it, you'd be getting on and working out how you can use it to your advantage. Mm. You wouldn't be talking about it. I was like, oh, yeah, good one. Anyway, I'll get him on the podcast and he can tell us what, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try and get him to reveal. What is it no one's talking about about AI? Yeah. They should be. Come on. Like break it here first type thing. <laughs> <laughs> but and actually in system one, we have done experiments looking at, for example, we did it with the, the guy I was talking to as well, actually, we did this test where he went to art college and got some students to design their own campaign, uh, out of home campaign, right? He then asked mm -hmm. AI to do ex exactly the same brief. He put the same brief into, into AI as he gave, as gave the students. The results were identical in terms of when we then went out and tested them with an audience. Does, oh, actually, no, it's interesting. Sorry. The first question we tested with consumers was, can you tell which one is AI and which one isn't? And they right. weren't able to tell, which I was okay. surprised at because I think I can tell AI. Mm -hmm. I think I can. So, but it's interesting that the general public were like, they, they weren't able to predict which one was AI generated and which one wasn't. Yeah. He then asked experts in marketing who were mm -hmm. slightly better, but only a little bit, as in, slightly better able to to work out which one was there and which one wasn't but the key thing came is is the scores they got in the system one test one to five was is the scoring system the art students were 1.9 ai was 1.83 so really close i mean statistically nothing in it but yeah. here's the twist and here was here's the really interesting twist one of the students working on this their entry got rejected because they had cheated and they had used AI to help improve their idea and they won the test at 2.7, but they had cheated. But actually the cheat told us the answer. The answer is you collaborate with AI and actually <laughs> human idea, obviously, I mean, it sounds really like yeah. John, you're telling us something we know, right? But, but anyway, but it's the data to prove the point is that actually the optimum use of AI is it doesn't replace human ingenuity because actually 1.9 is not particularly amazing score, but 2.7 is, is decent. So actually the opportunity is to try and work, you know, use AI to refine ideas or to use human ingenuity to, you know, to come up with them in the first place or improve on them. So mm. that's the answer, folks. Do both. <laughs> <laughs> 
you. We still have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so just on that point around kind of measurement and particularly kind of effectiveness measurement and AI, actually, one of the trends that we saw really pronounced in 2023 was a huge explosion in brand safety and suitability tools within podcast advertising, often powered by AI to try and give advertisers more confidence about the uh, content and the environment in which their podcast adverts were appearing, particularly things like, you know, programmatic uh, spot ads and dynamically inserted ads and all of that kind of thing. How necessary do you think that is going to be in terms of convincing brands who aren't already significantly investing in podcast advertising to come into the space. Do you think it's a lack of maturity in the ad tech environment that is one of the barriers holding brands back? Or is that a bit of a red herring in terms of how we can convince more brands into the medium? Oh, that's a really good question. I I mean, technically, I'm not that, not that genned up on the technically how you do that or necessarily the answer to that. Although I would say, I think the difference with podcasting as well, as we talked about earlier, is actually that because it is a, a creator generated media, it's a bit like influencer marketing, isn't it? On Instagram or something, you're sort of investing in the creator a bit and you're actually, you don't have control as much. You have to give away a bit of control about what's around you, don't you? And, and it, mm. and it's not necessarily going through the same approvals and, and regulatory standards that other media might do. So I, just to say then, I can understand why somebody would have that fear, uh, because you'd, you'd think actually you're having to give away some of your, some of your kind of creative control to a content creator who's not necessarily going to be regulated in the same way that a TV ad might be regulated. So, so that I, that, that I very much understand. I mean, weirdly, that's sort of an opportunity as well, because it means you can kind of collaborate a lot more and, it, and there's more mm. to be done. AI is, AI is quite interesting, I think, as part of the answer, because again, going back to my conversation with this particular person as well, the ability to use AI to go back through every episode that I've ever done and use it as an amazing resource. This is flipping on its head as the positive senses. Actually, AI would allow you to put an advert exactly in the right part of the conversation with exactly a, next to somebody who's a, a world leader on that particular topic. So the mm. positive is actually by using tech in that way, you can get an incredible level of personalization and, and fit in a way that you just couldn't on, on other media. So, so I think. I think it, the, the brand safety thing, I can see why that's a concern. I don't think it's the biggest barrier, by the way. I think there are much, mm. there are bigger barriers. And I think getting people to see it, see the opportunity is a big barrier. And I think getting people to use it in the right way as more of an influencer media rather than a paid for media, I think is the bigger barrier. And then probably under that, your brand safety point probably comes as part of the next consideration set. Well, how do I know then that if I'm going to give away a bit of control, use an influencer, how do I know that my, you know, my content's going to be, you know, managed in the right way and safely is probably the next consideration. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an opportunity as well as a threat, isn't it? Yeah, because I, I think there's a lot of money going into the development of brand safety and suitability tools. But for me, yeah, it's that's not the thing that's holding advertisers mm. back or doesn't seem to be. I think it's fun. I think the opportunity with AI, maybe rather than addressing brand safety, could actually be harnessed to actually 
meet advertisers and podcast platforms together because imagine a world where literally the ai could look back through all the content you created all the guests their audience their points of view you know what's been talked about and then you could say i want to communicate to people like this who've got a point of view of that who are considering the, the following right you could potentially match up podcast content and advertiser objectives in a way that is just insanely powerful so i i would be thinking about and if you could do that then you've got something to talk about which will make people realize how powerful podcast advertising is if we use ai to put safety checks in all it's going to do is just like stunt the growth before we wrap up i just wanted to ask because you have been you know there are moments you've been quite brutally honest on this podcast your podcast is called uncensored there is a lot of pride taken in the fact that people are able to be very open when normally in the world of business as we've also heard it can be kind of a lot in shadows so what does that mean for your guests and for your listeners do you find that your guests really are actually more more truthful and do you think that's why it resonates so much with listeners because they're actually getting some real answers about a world that they might not be able to actually have a foot in the door otherwise generally i like to get the guests comfortable and get them talking in a way that they're going to say some useful things that are going to be of value to people. And I think the reason you might listen to a podcast rather than read an article is that you're going to get to know the person and get to see what's actually going on and, and, and the nuance you'll get in their tone of voice, the way they tell the story, the level of honesty. You, you can, you can pick it up, can't you? So I think podcasting is unique because it's such an authentic media and it allows you to tell a story that's not been told before. Go behind the scenes in a way that you wouldn't do otherwise. And that's where we learn. You don't learn by reading a press release or yeah. reading what the company wants to tell you, mm -hmm. you learn by finding out what actually happened. And, yes. and that's the point of, you know, the interview and getting that out of someone. Thanks so much, John. How have you found being on the other side of it, answering the questions instead of asking them? It's good fun, although I don't know whether what I said was any good. So the thing is, like when I'm <laughs> the other side, it's like, I know what I'm going to say. I'm totally relaxed. It's always good. It's always good. And then on the other side, I'm like, did I ramble? Did I make sense? Is, is that what they wanted me to say? Who knows? The thing is, it's not about what we want you to say. It's about what you <laughs> want to tell us about the world that you inhabit. So it's all really valuable. So thank you. It's been brilliant. Good, good, good. <laughs> Thanks so much to John Evans. Quite uncensored, I would say, for a chief marketing officer. <laughs> the AI stuff I found, it kind of piqued my interest a little bit because I'm starting back lecturing again at City University in a couple of weeks. Mm. And we had to do a little course about how to recognise AI and, you know, talk to our students about wow. AI. And I was like, I don't, like, I do not work with AI. I don't know how I'm going to recognise it. But I guess the point we are supposed to be trying to make is that why are you wanting to get into journalism or into this creative industry if you're if you want a computer to write your stuff for you like there is an absolutely no point and i guess the same kind of goes with the creativity side of working in marketing right surely you don't get into it to use ai instead of using your brain or instead of using your creativity reem i know you had some thoughts about the ai stuff so tell us about that well i mean i i think it's, it's interesting that you say that you don't work with ai and we're recording on riverside and yet with podcasting we use ai so much with things like otter as well or descript and to be fair i used to think the same way about ai where i used to think it's something that's going to take over people's jobs and it's going to take over all the creativity aspect and you can immediately tell when someone's using AI but actually you could use it as a collaborator and it's something where you could use it for 
these kind of smaller tasks that can just help your workflow be a lot easier and can help you even focus more on the creativity aspect by not having to manage all these smaller things. So by not wasting your time on things like transcribing every single word of an episode, you can then focus on, you know, creating the, the brief for the next episode or contacting new guests. And that's going to help your creativity. I think there's a good and bad side to AI. You just need to be careful in the way that you use it and just not think of it as something that's immediately evil and taking over over the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you've seen iRobot, it's not (laughs) iRobot. But I think even from a creative perspective, there is a place for AI and a useful place at that. I don't think anything AI generated should be reaching end consumers. You know, it shouldn't be reaching your audience in sort of a, a an AI generated state, mm-hmm. but AI can be really useful at the planning and development phase yes. of something, even in a creative perspective. You know, one of the big sort of challenges of writing, particularly you know, solo writing. And this is something that, you know, I've certainly heard from screenwriters and scriptwriters and people like that is not having people to bounce ideas off of and to sort of workshop things with can make the writing process much harder. Yeah. And AI can in admittedly a, a limited and inexact capacity can sort of go some way to providing that you know you can ask an ai system to spit out let's say 20 possible names for a podcast episode or a new show and from that you can take the bones and you know use that to spark ideas which you then kind of develop further and jump off of and work into something that's that's unique and and suited to your project without having to do the entire process yourself from scratch. And it's things like that that I think AI can be really useful with. Ad agencies are quaking in their boots at the very thought. (laughs) When you're listening to somebody like John talking about all of the tips and hints that he's picked up, stuff that he either does with his own podcast or that he does with companies for their businesses, what kind of jumps out at you at things that you could be doing or things that you are doing that you feel gratified that it's come up. One of the things that John mentioned a couple of times, which comes up again and again in podcasting is getting guests on and then having them sort of share it to their network Mm. is a super great promotional tool. It's something that, that we've certainly seen on, on pod pod, you know, on the occasions when we've had guests that have really shouted about the episodes that they've done with us that has been huge in terms of getting those episodes out to wider audiences yeah. and it's something that i think podcasters in general could be a little bit better at you know just making sure to nudge guests when they have been on and say hey you know do you want to share the episode here's a link here's like a little suggested you know social media post or tweet that you could put out you know if you've got any graphics or video assets just sending all of that over as a sort of prompt to try and push people to share it Mm -hmm. can be 
super, super useful. Yeah, making it idiot-proof, right? Mm. Reen, what about you? Are there any kind of like little tidbits that you took away from from what John said? Because I feel like so much was really useful just to distill. Are there any that just like did a little boing in your head? Well, one one thing that stuck with me was he said that 80% of his listeners started listening in 2023 when he launched his podcast four years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good reminder to podcasters in general that consistency is really important and you might not see growth immediately, but you might see it years in the future. And yes, it takes a lot of time and patience and effort and not everyone has the capability to do that. But you will be surprised when you start getting listeners later down the line, because it is a thing where some people might take a little more time to fall in love with it, or you might take a little more time to find your voice in the right format that works for you. But eventually, when you do, you're going to see the results. So I just thought that was a good reminder for for new podcasters. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so much. That was such a useful beginning to 2024. I hope everyone listening found it helpful. Do get in touch if you have an idea of who we should be speaking to next. You can email us at editor at podpod.com or get in touch on socials at podpodofficial. Thank you, of course, to Adam and Nareem for joining me as ever. And do sign up to our daily email bulletins for so much more podpod news. The podcast is produced by Emma Corsham for Haymarket Business Media and I'm your host Brianna Dillon I'll see you next week bye <laughs>